You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and technology, where we mash up the internet of thoughts with software as a sickness, and where musical wearables are worn on the inside and made from heartbeats and brainwaves. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa, the CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We're a PR firm that works in music, tech, and music tech. And today I am happy to have with me Jeff Vandriel, the CEO of MVibe, here as our guest. Some of you may know Jeff from his off and on decade at Noxos, where I met him and where he spent several years as CEO, but that was then, and this is now. Jeff is here to tell us about the new company he is running. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great, Dimitri. Thanks for having me. You're calling in from Nashville. Yes, the booming metropolis center of the music business, the world center of the music business, Nashville, Tennessee. One of the things we talk about on Music Tectonics is how um, music is like fire, meaning that music is across all silos, all places it used to be that maybe, you know, you listen on a jukebox or a radio or you went to a record store or whatever, but music is in video games and streaming and exercise equipment. We've even talked about a barbecue that now comes with music or a lamp that comes with music from Ikea and Sonos. Um, but one of the things that I um, noticed early was that music really got used quite a bit more in music, uh, I'm sorry, in TV and film. And, uh, and the whole sync world has exploded. And uh, I'm sure you'll have lots to share with us, but let's just kick it off with telling us about what is MVibe, this company that you've been CEO of from January to now. Yes. So um, MVibe is a B2B platform that aggregates cover songs for the purpose of sync licensing. So it um, is, it was founded last year um, in LA. They, the founders brought me on as an additional founder in January, and we were able to license over half a million songs. So we could launch our um, platform in June and we have half a million cover songs that can be searched and compared and licenses licensed so we we utilize um, ai to create specialized metadata that enhances our search and we differentiate ourselves from other types of sync companies like production music libraries or micro sync licensing sites um, we're you know we're typically looking for the higher dollar syncs and we combine expertise content community and technology to help you know films ads Etc. to find great music and to um, do the, make the licensing process happen. Wow, there's so much you said there. I want to unpack a little bit of that. So you said you're looking for the high dollar licenses. So it's it really is just more like mainstream film, TV, advertising. You're not looking for YouTubers? That is correct. So high dollar, of course, with cover songs is different than high dollar for original songs. So, you know, but we're, we're not, you know, we're not into the micro sync world. We're not looking to put music into, you know, onto YouTube or any of that sort of thing, or even for advertising for YouTube. That's not, that's not our market. Um, it's not a market that we, you know, I think there's, there's been a lot of tech companies that are addressing, you know, that, that market. So we didn't, you know, we don't see the need for that. Um, you know, MVibe fills a void um, in the cover song market just because there's nobody that does what we do on the scale that we do. And cover songs are scattered all, all across the internet and there's just no one place to, um, you know, to find and compare it. And, you know, beyond that, cover songs are, um, you know, they're not listed as cover songs. Typically they're listed, 
you know, the typical way where you have a song title and an artist. And when someone's looking for a cover song, they're interested in who the primary or the, or the, the original artist is or who the, um, who's, who's the artist that made it famous, which is not always the same um, artist. So interesting. You know, I want to ask more about that. Why, why is the focus on cover songs for Mvibe? So there's a couple of different reasons. So the, the, the primary reason was, you know, and the idea was born from the fact that one of our um, founders who, you know, creates a lot of music for film and TV, he's, he does um, movie production. He has numerous production music libraries. He writes music under 12 different aliases or something like that. Um, and does, you know, creates all sorts of music. He was continually approached by music supervisors to quickly make a cover song. And he would, you know, do it and be able to, you know, make money doing it. But he's like, this doesn't make sense. He, he like, he, he knew that there's millions of cover songs in the marketplace, but why can't these music supervisors find it? So, you know, so in conjunction with one of the other founders who works really closely with some music supervisors due to, you know, the fact that he writes um, for TV, you know, four or five television shows at a time, they had, you know, they brainstormed this idea of, you know, having, having an aggregation of cover songs and really helping music supervisors in, in an area where it's just, it's very chaotic and, and, and not um, very organized. So that's, you know, that's the first and the main reason. The second reason, which, you know, goes, you know, into 2020, 2021 for us is that, you know, it, because it is an area of the market that is somewhat ignored or it's not served very well, we're able to build something in, you know, where the market demand is there already, which helps fund us to grow a platform to build and to build the technology that will help with all sorts of other music. So it's really, you know, it's a stepping stone for us. It's, you know, it is, it's a large market, but it's not, it's not the end game for us. We really want to build technology around music licensing that, you know, solves a lot of problems in the industry, including, you know, changing the way, music sync happens in general currently in meaning that it's pre-cleared and, and through a platform you can license it rather than having to negotiate with two sides of the, the rights each time um no you know i mean that's that's obviously something that we would like eventually that's and that's part of the whole process you know the, where we want to change things but there are you know everybody you know understood they don't understand. I was going to say everyone understands how complicated complicated it is. We we know it is very complicated, and you know there's a reason why rights holders don't want to, you know, just you know make rate cards for every piece of music that they own, whether it's the publishing or the sound recording. But the you know the bigger challenge that we want to solve is the fact that there's just so much noise in the marketplace. So if you're a music supervisor, you've got a lot of really good friends because all these people are pitching music. So from every different record label, um, you're being pitched, you know, the greatest new band or the, whatever the priority is at the record label. And you've got artists that are contacting you. And once in a while, even pub publishers are proactive and you've got, you know, publishing agents contacting you. So, so there's no, you know, there's just a lot of noise and there's not, you know, there's, there's not a, there's not much technology to, that helps basically pair the right music with the right picture. I think that's, you know, that's the ultimate goal. And, you know, the pricing and negotiations is something that could come later, but that's actually not even our first goal because we, we recognize the value of the music. We understand, you know, if you own a stone song, you're going to protect it and you're not going to, you know, sell it very cheaply and you shouldn't, um, you know, but the fact that you've got, you know, so much noise in the marketplace and so much middlemen 
and really, I mean, from our end of it, it's, you know, we're building a platform business in a world where, you know, in a tech world where platforms have revolutionized a lot of different things. And I think, you know, that's kind of where we come from, where we, you know, we obviously need to have allies with, you know, record companies and music publishers. Um, but we have to also, you know, figure out what the industry needs overall, you know, and then one of the things of, you know, I need to kind of tread the fine line. If you, if you think of a company like Uber, I mean, they didn't have hotels as their allies in the early days. Um, you know, so it's, you know, and that's obviously they revolutionized how rooms are sold. Um, you know. Oh, you mean Airbnb? Sorry. Yeah. I was mixing. Yeah. I was, those would both be good examples, but yeah, yeah. But that, it's like a mixed metaphor there, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Airbnb with rooms and Uber with, car travel right yeah so um why why is there such a high demand for cover songs among mu music supervisors so there's a couple different reasons i mean the, the one that everybody thinks about first is that it's going to be cheaper um and in general almost all the time it is cheaper than the original the you know and that's obviously a good reason if you just you know if you go to the publisher and you find out how expensive a song is your budget might not allow you to then license the the original and as most people know in the music sync space that the the typical ask is that there's mfn pricing between the publishing and the sound recording so that if you negotiate first with the publisher you're going to pay the same amount obviously still subject to approvals for the sound recording of the original um, in the case of covers that's the cover song is completely negotiable so it does not need to be the same price as the, the publishing is so that's you know that's one reason and a good reason but beyond that there's that it's the reimagination or the reinterpretation of the song that often fits the scene better. And I think that that's, you know, that's one of the exciting things. And we see a lot of growth in a lot of areas. So, you know, TV shows use lots of covers. A lot of uh, films um, now use covers and it's, you know, you see kids, kids movies where they use a cover. So the cover song can sound like a really cool and hip song to the kids, but for the adults that drag them there, they get some recognition from, you know, the song from when it was a hit 20 years ago. And, you know, so there's, there's a lot of good reasons for doing that. I think that, in, you know, in advertising, the fact that, you know, you can use a cover song, the, there's a couple benefits. The one is if it was a hit song, there's a good correlation between the fact that it was a hit and it's a good song. So, you know, you don't need to try to make something original and see, see if it's going to work, you know, for your ad, you know, that, you know, it's a good song. That's why it was successful. And then secondly, when you then use a kind of a reinterpretation or reimagination of it to the listener, they're like, I know that song, but they're also thinking of it as being somewhat original, even though it's not the original. So, so there's, you know, that's kind of a rambling answer, but there's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, good reasons to do it. And I think that, I think that the music business in general thinks, you know, of the song, you know, of the music and the song as, as one thing, but, you know, for songwriters that just, you know, for songwriters that write songs and more times it's, you know, recorded, the better for them, it's more money they're going to make. So, you know, it's, I think we need to think of them as two different properties and when a song, you know, becomes a hit and other people record it, it's just, you know, it's just good for business overall. You know, I feel like what you're talking about is in line with just a, a, even a broader trend beyond just sync, but just this idea of the relationship between sound and, and visuals becoming more, maybe just because we have more and more video in, in our, in our, you know, our daily lives, becoming more of a, a form of, of expression in itself, 
And so I think your, your point about a cover song, you know, it simultaneously adds something to the video, but it also changes your perception of the song that you've mm -hmm. just been listening to. And the visual that goes with it also changes the perception of this, the song. And, and I think in the Netflix Hulu era, we're seeing so many interesting new combinations of, of video and music and that's not getting into microsync the whole TikTok and, <laughs> and music uh where you have user generated in a, in a, a lower bar to get your music and video published if you could yeah. call it that um but it's just interesting that like as a society as as, as a as a global culture we're doing new things with um, video and, and music that changes our experience of music, which is really interesting. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Um, you know, a couple of thoughts on that though. You know, the one is, I mean, I came from the classical music business, you know, when I was at Naxos for uh, about 11 years and, you know, I mean, that's basically all cover music and a <laughs> symphony orchestra, you know, may want to do a recording of one of their performances and it's a cover song. And, you know, there's, the reason they're doing that is because the people that are listening get to hear how the orchestra and the principal violinist and the conductor, how they all interact and interpret what the composer originally composed. And, it, you know, it's going to sound different than, you know, a previous performance by a different orchestra. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, that's where in, in that world, you know, the value of the composition is, is considered completely separate from, you know, the performance and the recording of that performance. Uh, so that's, you know, that kind of carries on into the cover music world um, on the issue of video video, you're right, video really permeates our world, uh, you know, and that has changed dramatically in the last 20 years, you know, from the, you know, from the rise of YouTube and, you know, the, the use of smartphones to, you know, the amount of gaming that goes on. And then, you know, also the way um, the, the industry has, has included music more in, in different different mediums or in different applications. I mean, even in TV shows, if you go to the fifties, you know, or sixties and, you know, watch a sitcom from back there, there was way less music put into that than there is currently. Um, and, you know, so that, that certainly has changed. Yeah. It's interesting what you said about classical music. Um, and I think it's true with all traditional music, um, folk, folk forms of folk music, you never called them cover songs. They were just songs that people knew. And, and it was really about each individual's interpretation and expression of that song. That was, that was part of the, the art of folk and traditional music, um, and, and classical music. And now it's interesting to see that that interpretation is well aligned with, with memes, uh, that are not even necessarily musical. Um, just this idea that people take these themes and they keep recycling them in these new ways. And it's that creativity around that interpretation on, on visual memes, as well as, um, with music and music and video and so forth. And it's kind of strange that, in classical music, everyone's a cover band That's right. <laughs> for the most part, with the exception of, you know, co really contemporary um, and experimental ensembles and performers and things like that. But, uh, but in any other popular form of music, um, cover bands tend to have a negative, you know, people have a negative kind of association with just that idea cover band, even though a lot of people will go and see a cover band and they'll be happy to <laughs> see familiar stuff. Except, except that ten percent of you know music listening tends to be Christmas music. I mean, I made up that percentage just because there's you know five weeks of the year where everybody listens to only Christmas music. Everybody, of course, used you know as a, as a loose term, but you know Christmas 
music or holiday music is almost exclusively cover cover music and we don't think of it that way that's true and some of us would put quotes around music in that sentence too but (laughs) (laughs) there you go good one i like that (laughs) but um yeah no i mean you know in terms of a you know musical expression cultural expression or consumption or whatever you want to call it sure that's that's totally true um, so, um, you know, before we dive a little bit more into kind of the broader context of sync and, um, and, and maybe even around music and technology, our focus on the, on the podcast, let's, let's, we, we both touched a little bit on your background, but let's say a little bit more about your background and why you're leading this now. Sure. So I'll give you a, you know, quick, um, you know, overview of my career. So I, I grew up in Canada, so I'm a Canadian and an American, but I, um, studied business and then went to law school, graduated a law degree, and then went into the animal feed business for 13 and a half years. So that was the, you know, the logical next step from that was to come to the music business. But, um, and I say that, you know, without, you know, laughing too loud, but it is, I am the only, you know, guy that ever became general counsel for a multinational, you know, music company by spending 13 and a half years in the animal feed business. But I did that. Um, it came to Naxos in 2007 when there was a chain, change in leadership there. And through one of my contacts that I had um, gone to college with, I you know got got recruited to fill in at Naxos and did the you know a variety of different jobs there and got very involved in growing their digital distribution business as, as well as being involved as general counsel and operations and finance there. And then in 2013, I believe I became the CEO and um, led the North American division for a little over four years, at which point I decided that, you know, there was something else that I wanted to do. So that's, you know, when I decided to, you know, take a bit of a break, I did a little bit of consulting and kind of looked for something that I found very intriguing. And then MVibe approached me and I, you know, I decided to latch on and, you know, to answer your question, what, what may, you know, there's a couple of reasons why I'm suitable for it. I mean, the, the one is that I know what I don't know. So I don't pretend that I'm the ex, an expert at everything. So my goal is to lead, you know, this company to great growth. I think that, you know, I bring some vision, but I, you know, that's something that you cultivate. I'm not, not the only person in the organization with vision. Uh, I bring a lot of experience, particularly around, you know, data and big data. Uh, as you know, classical music, the, you know, the, the necessity to have clean and detailed metadata is very important. And that's also very important to our business here for, you know, creating additional data so that the music is actually discoverable. Um, so that's, you know, that's a big thing. I think that I've, I've had some experience in building divisions from, you know, from very small into, you know, medium, medium to large companies. So, so you know, so I think that, you know, I that that's kind of why you know it's you know there's a fit i think the passion though is a big thing i you know i love the music business i really you know think that i can broaden my personal horizons by getting involved you know in in, a, in the intersection between music tech and music and film so that's you know that's exciting to me personally but you know beyond that it's the, you know there's just a thrill in you know building a team and building a product and making it successful and you know i would be remiss if i didn't you know if i sounded like I was bragging and I was not bragging on my team because I've so far been able to recruit some really top talent. And that's really what is very exciting. And I think that that's really what's going to help make this a success. So now you've been in this for several months, coming on a, a year soon. Um, 
I'm curious if if you've had a chance to to start to get a sense of what's been changing in sync and where you see sync going in the next two to three years. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, the sync business is changing. In in some ways, it's changing rapidly. In other ways, it's not changing at all. Um, the ways that it's changing is really, you know, with a couple interesting business models that are starting to grow quite, quite rapidly. Um, you know, the subscription licensing business with companies like Musicbed and Soundstripe, who, you know, both seem to be getting a lot of, um, a lot of traction. And, you know, that's, that's some new technology and new, new ways of licensing music for various uses that's growing I think that the area that is going to grow really rapidly is for, you know, for podcasts. And I know that, you know, people like you that, you know, have a podcast, if you're not using your own original, you know, music, you're going to be licensing it and you would think that right away. But there are a lot of podcasts that do not license their music yet. And there's, you know, there's, I know that there's a lot of people such as Sound Exchange getting involved in trying to figure out ways to make sure that we monetize that correctly. And we all know that, you know, podcasting is you know a rapidly growing you know part of of the business so i see you know see see that changing um i think beyond that the change where we don't see is changing is that the, you know the very few um you know the way music is pitched isn't changing very rapidly and i mean i'm sure that there's people at record labels that would disagree with me but there's you know it's i you know a, wearing my critical hat i would say that it's a fairly archaic system people don't want to you know they don't want to work together nobody has ever been able to build a global platform that would aggregate all the songs and all the publishing in the world like a spotify or apple music do for music consumption i think that that's something that will need to you know exist at some point um it's not you know it's not going to happen this year or next but it's something that just makes logical sense for the size of our business that that would actually, you know, happen. The global sync business is, you know, somewhere between one and one and a half billion dollars between, you know, sound recordings and, and, and publishing. So it's, you know, it would make, make sense that there would be, you know, something global that would, that would help, help the business, but, you know, change, change is not necessarily easy. So that's, I see, see that evolving and it's, you know, we already see that, that happening, but, um, beyond that, I, I, you know, I just think that the industry continues to evolve, it's particularly around what music, what types of music are getting synced, and as tastes change, and you know, eighties, the eighties music was synced a lot, you know, in the last few years, and I see the nineties, so hits from the nineties being synced now and moving forward. You know, from from kind of a, a broad level more consumer side of it, it sure appears that music is getting used a lot more with film and, and TV. Um, it used to be something that if you had music in your film or TV show, that differentiated you from other folks and now it, or other shows or film or films. And now it seems like you almost have to have it to be considered a modern quality TV show. Um, and so it's not if you have it that differentiates you, it's, it's yeah. what, which music you have. That differentiates differentiates it how you use it in conjunction with film. So it, it looks like, and and I'm curious if you can confirm, it looks like more. There's, more, I mean, sure, we're we're not even talking about the user generated microsync stuff, but in film and TV, and I guess advertising, it looks like more music's being used and licensed. 
Yes, yeah, I mean, so the market overall is growing, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15% per year. That's, you know, the average of the last three years. I, I don't think that's going to change or it may actually even increase the availability of music at various price points, you know, has made it easy and, you know, seamless for somebody to, to put music in their film. So, you know, if you have a have a low budget film, you can find some music, you won't be able to, you know, get a Beatles song. Um, but you you know, you probably can get some cool indie band that, you know, it hasn't got any traction yet and get some good music into your film. Or, you know, the, the use of music libraries, that that's an area that has grown, you know, significantly in the in the last few years. There's a, you know, a lot of production music that has been created uh, where it's, you know, original production music. So people can license it all in and not worry about it and in perpetuity. So, you know, it's quite easy to get, get music. And of course, you know, that, that make that's competition then for those of us that, you know, are after the higher dollar sink. But I think that that's, you know, it's a case where, you know, the rising tide makes all ships rise. I'm curious about that because I, I do generally agree with that theory. Um, and it appears, if you look at the data, it appears that, you know, the, the, the tide is rising across the board. Does, does the access and availability of more music for sync, um, with fewer maybe gatekeepers you could say involved does that lower the dollar value of sync for the higher strata of music uh yes and no so i mean in general it doesn't change it significantly because good songs are still going to cost a lot of money um but but you're right i mean there's that middle area of the business where somebody can get you know a good song cheap and the you know it's easy to make quality recordings you know very easily people can you know record you know in their bedrooms and make high quality recordings um, you can get your albums mixed or mastered at least you know using ai um, and not you know hire a mastering engineer there's you know all these things that make music more affordable so they can be you know that also makes them able to be be synced um, i think that the uh, the bigger thing though that pushes the pricing down is when the power is held by few people. So you you know obviously you've got you know Amazon and you have Netflix, you have Disney, you've got you know companies like that where they you know they control so much of the music that gets placed that you know that that can help drive the prices down. Um, but on the flip side, I mean there's just so many new shows being created that you know I think that. You know, that's kind of what makes up for it. So the average dollar of a sink, and I don't, I do not have the statistics in front of me, but the average dollar um, value may be going down, but the overall business is increasing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what I would suspect. Um, it's interesting when people talk about, um, you know, music listening, uh, the consumer side of music listening. People get very um, emotional and upset about the the, the value of um, music in streaming, the per stream, or you know how how it is to make a um, make a career out of, of being a musician. Um, but something that I've always thought about is I think the technology that's done more to make that. Uh, diff more difficult for for people to make a living at music is actually on the production side. Um, it's it's that creation of music having such a surplus of music and and some of the tools you've talked about, not just the automated mastering, but even just the you know the bedroom recording and so forth. On the one hand, has created access to more and more people to be able to record quality sounding music. I mean, it doesn't make you a better piano player necessarily, although <laughs> there's tools for that too. Um, uh, but but it 
I think, you know, the, the, the flood of the market of how much stuff is being created, I think is probably a bigger, um, impact on, you know, the, the value of music than the availability of streaming. Um, mm-hmm. so there may be some parallel in, in sync as well with that. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure about the parallel in sync, but I, you know, I do know what you're, you're, you're talking about. I think that it's, you know, kind of a combination effect for, for those, you know, people that, you know, blame streaming and all of that. It's you know, the one, the one thing that we can, you know, be happy about is that the business right now is a very real business. So if you create music and someone listens to it, somebody's getting paid. I don't want to say the artist gets paid because they may have given all their rights to a record label. Yeah. Um, but, you know, somebody is getting paid. It may not necessarily be quite, you know, what the value should be, but it's, you know, the artificial business of, new mediums for carrying music so that when somebody liked one song, they may have bought a full album four or five times, you know, between buying the cassette, the vinyl, the download, the CD, etc. you know, that, that business doesn't exist very much anymore. So it's, it's much more of a, a real business music, people, you know, artists get paid or should be getting paid when, you know, the music is consumed. Um, I'm, you know, and I say all that because I'm a bit, a bit of a pragmatist, and I think that you know we use technology to make things better. For the same reason, I'm not scared of AI for music creation. You know, AI is going to create music, and it's going to be synced. You know, where that is going to be, you know, an area of the business that we're going to compete with. Um, but I don't fear that because I think that that's you know that's the part of the natural evolution of the music business, and you know we'll see see where where it goes. Um, people you know, the creativity of people is still needed. We, we know that machines are not going to 100% replace people. So we'll you know, all that's going, it's going to evolve over time and we need to kind of need to see where it all goes. We did a recent episode with uh, the music tech journalist, Danny Deal from The Verge. And uh, we got into quite a heated discussion about artificial intelligence and music. Um, and uh, our listeners should, should check out that episode if you want to dig into that whole idea of is mm-hmm. AI competing with human musicians. <laughs> uh, my my kind of take on it is, in some cases, it's helping musicians make music. Right. And in some cases, it's creating a new almost a new form of, of music. And, and, and the, I could imagine Jeff in the, in the form of sync, there's going to be situations where AI music absolutely won't work. And there'll be situations where AI music might work better. Right. <laughs> um, ba- not just based on budget, but even on what the, what the sound is or yeah. things. I mean, I think some, some AI music is a little bit like elevator music, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. it serves its purpose. It, it blocks the background. It's, it, it, you know, it masks other sounds. It might not be as entertaining or culturally relevant as human created music at certain times. Right. You know, and it, you know, maybe it'll force creators to be more creative. I don't know. You know, I'm, there's, there's going to be a competition and that's going to change, you know, how, you know, how music is made and how it's, how it's used. So I think, I think it'll be interesting to see how that all evolves. Yeah. It's cool to see you kind of stepping back. We've talked about sync and, and, and vibe. What are some of the other intriguing trends that you're seeing in music and technology right now? I mean, you, you, you ran a, a label and a distribution company. You've built other platforms through that work with Naxos. I know you, you, you've been involved with streaming services that you guys had launched. Um, what else are you seeing that's kind of intriguing you? Um, I mean, I have this fascination with big data just because, it, you know, it's so important in, in my world. So, I, you know, I see companies that are, you know, helping clean up data in the industry. Um, companies like um, Exactuals, uh, I like what 
companies like that are doing. I think that that is only helping our industry. I also think that there's going to be a lot more data used around the listener so that, you know, we'll need to see how that all evolves where, you know, the listener can be better served music um, by utilizing the data around that. So, you know, I think that's interesting. The, um, you know, the entire blockchain world, I, I'm quite fascinated with and, you know, I know that there are a lot of conversations and, you know, blockchain is used as a buzzword, you know, by a lot of people. It's, um, you know, a lot of people like to like to use it when they don't understand it. And I don't even pretend to understand it fully, but, you know, we'll need to see. And, I, you know, it's good that you've got companies like Spotify and Apple, you know, getting getting involved in figuring out how that could all work. And I think that, you know, the, the real time reporting of consumption and even even the real time payment of consumption is going to be you know an interesting evolution over time i think that there's you know it's a bit like that internet thing was going to be really big back in 1988 um you know that's blockchain is going to be really big but there's going to be a lot of companies that try to use blockchain technology that, that are going to go broke before the ultimate use of it happens so um but yeah i find that ex- that exciting and i you know i just think that technology in general is going to be very helpful in the music business and you know in the platform space with companies like what we're you know what what mvibe is and what what we're building i also think that the trend of catalogs being purchased and amalgamated under the bigger companies you've got companies like you know hypnosis and reservoir and concord they're you know they continually buy more publishing catalogs and um more record labels and i think that you know some of the pricing that i see is going to mean that you know there's going to need to be more creative ways to monetize i don't think that you know i don't i think at this point you know the you know the streaming revenue is what everybody that owns catalogs is excited about and you know it's considered you know worth the investment apparently to spend a a lot of time you know a a lot a big number of times earnings to um to purchase these catalogs but uh, I think that there's going to be a bit of a reckoning where some people have paid too much and they're going to be wanting to be a lot more creative and figuring how to monetize and be a lot more proactive in representing their catalogs, whether it's publishing or sound recording in, in the sync space. And I think that's where people like us can come and, you know, help, help with that. Wow. That was great. Lots of, lots of little tidbits there from, from AI to blockchain to catalog, um, um, kind of, uh, acquisitions and, and so forth. I appreciate you piping in with all that. And, and, you know, that's the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about at the music tectonics conference that we were organizing in October, October 28th and 29th in Los Angeles. And MVibe has come on to sponsor. Curious what drew you to, to get involved with that, Jeff? Well, most of your good looks and um, good, I knew good personality. That's what it is. No, I'm, uh, that's definitely part of it, uh, Dimitri. But we we obviously want to stay cutting edge. And I, you know, I know the type of people that you are attracting to, to that is, you know, is is really you know high quality and people that are cutting edge that are interested in seeing where music technology is going and we just want to make sure that we stay apprised of where where things are going it's important for us to be able to innovate and to collaborate with with other people and even even if they are in what could be considered competitive space i think that that you know i would i really believe in collaborating and and figuring out ways to partner rather than try to keep everything proprietary and you know thinking that we can build a little island here Um, the other thing that's really cool about what you're doing is that you're bringing you know some investors in and most of us in the startup world you know spend you know 
that other eight hours of our day, you know, raising capital. So I think that that's, that's a, a good part of it. And then beyond that, you know, just for us as MVibe to be continuing to grow our brand awareness is, is important to us. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm excited about what, what you're doing. I think it's a, you know, it's good timing with other things that are going on in LA and we're excited to be part of it. Awesome. Really appreciate you coming on board, Jeff. And also thanks for coming on to the, uh, the podcast. It's been great talking with you. Yeah, well, it's been it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you, um, you know, bringing me on, and we certainly, you know, are excited about the way the music business continues to develop. And we're excited that, you know, as a music tech company, that we're, you know, we can build things that are going to help the industry overall. Excellent, cool. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dimitri. And thank you for listening to Music Tectonics. Do me a favor, uh, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. That way you'll get notified when we have additional episodes and come check out musictectonics.com where you can sign up for the newsletter. That'll give you a $50 discount on the Music Tectonics Conference, which is taking place October 28th and 29th, 2019 in Los Angeles. We're going to have AI's Got Talent. It's an artificial intelligence talent show emceed by Danny Deal from The Verge. We're going to have a blockchain cage match where skeptics and enthusiasts are on stage together, refereed by NWA's Arabian Prince, um, and so many more sessions you can find out about on the Music Tectonics website. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Music Tectonics.